the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. It's time! Hello, everybody. Episode 5 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Neglia. And I want to, first of all, just say thank you very much, everybody, for... You know, just supporting us at nextbestpicture.com. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate all the listens that you guys have given over to the podcast. And for that, we are going to go mercifully easy on you this week. I don't know if you guys noticed, but we released our Deep Water Horizon review separately this week from our traditional Oscar award season talk. So... With that said, we've got a very, very nicely packed out episode here today to talk about all the ongoings of what's been happening this past week in the world of the 2016 Film Awards season. With that said, let's get Michael and Will in here. Will, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. And Michael? Hey, how's it going? We are doing pretty well. I, myself, am super excited. Time of this recording here is Saturday, October 1st. Tomorrow, I head out to New York City for my first day of the New York Film Festival, guys. So I am pretty pumped overall. I'm starting off my day tomorrow with Manchester by the Sea at about 11.30 in the morning and then Moonlight at 6.15 in the evening. So I'm going to have, I think, probably one of the best movie days of the year for myself because I'll probably watch two of the best movies of the year, I think. (laughs) That's going to be amazing. I'm so envious. Yeah, it should be fun for sure. Um... With that said, New York Film Festival already got off to a pretty good start this week already. Uh, Yesterday, it premiered Ava DuVernay's newest film, 13th documentary film, exploring racial prejudice and, of course, just in general, I guess you could say racism in this country over the past couple hundreds of years or so since... um, the 13th Amendment got added to the Constitution of the United States, abolishing slavery. This is, from what I've been hearing, vital and important work that could, not saying it will, but could potentially get Ava DuVernay a Best Director nomination and get the documentary to become the first documentary nominated for Best Picture. Guys, sound off on it. What do you think? I think she will win an Oscar this year but not for Best Director. I think she will win for the documentary itself. So I do believe, given the reviews and the timely nature this film has, and it is timely, there's apparently an entire montage in the film of showing people getting arrested to a background of Donald Trump's speeches narrating. I mean, it is extremely timely timely and pointed. So Best Documentary winner almost in the bag. I am not sold on it being a Best Picture nominee because there is a heavy genre bias, and like with animated films, voters often think, well, if that film has its own category, I shouldn't vote for it here in picture. And I I can't fathom a director winner coming from a documentary film, no matter how strong the direction is. Yeah, as for the documentary category, I think, I don't know that I'm ready to say she has the win in the bag, but it seems like a nomination is certain at this point. The film itself is apparently very timely, not just in terms of what it says about racism in our country, but also the prison industry and just the race issues that go on there. And from what I hear, you mentioned that it has that uh, Trump speech added to the background. It doesn't go easy on Clinton either. Like It has a little bit to say about both candidates right now. So a very timely title. Ava DuVernay is one of the most talented filmmakers around. She's incredibly smart and knows what she's looking at in her films so i don't want to say i'm excited to see this because i don't think it's the type of film to get excited about but it's uh i'm very interested to see what she has to say because she's always worth listening to has anybody found out what the runtime on this film is about 100 minutes i hear 
See, now, I find that so fascinating that we have an OJ documentary that uh, many people were saying is probably the front runner for the Oscar for Best Documentary. Um, and that thing is, what, seven hours long? It's seven hours, and they've been screening it for Academy members in, like, one sitting, but there have been breaks in the middle with, like, Q&As added and then a refreshment section. Like, they make it easier for them to watch because you think about some of these Academy members watching it at home and who has the time to like sit down for seven hours and watch it. Yes, you could break it into chunks, but some people won't come back for the other parts. Like it's one of those things that's just easier to get out of the way in one viewing if you want to do it that way. And I think this is the reason why the film was not going to win best documentary. And I think it leaves it wide open for Ava DuVernay's the 13th to swoop right in here, I think. I think it gets a nomination. Well, especially also with what happened with uh, the Wiener documentary, which early on in the year, people were saying, oh, this could be a contender. His latest scandal has pretty much derailed that film's chances. So I think that, to your point, Will, I think Ava DuVernay, we're going to have to be calling her Oscar winner after this year. Although I think Gleason could be a surprise contender because... I, yes. I think the 13th has it, but Gleason apparently is just devastating to watch and never underestimate films that can make Academy voters cry. It's been a really good year for documentaries. Have both of you seen the OJ documentary? Not yet. Not yet. I've watched the FX series. That's tremendous, too. I love the FX series, but this is more than just the trial. It's his entire life, and it has so much to say about the culture. Again, just like 13th, about... a. Uh, racism in the Los Angeles Police Department and the culture surrounding OJ and the media, it is just sensational. Not just the best documentary of the year, one of the best films of the year, honestly. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. Let's move over to another film that's exploring race this year. Um, What the hell is Fox Searchlight doing right now with The Birth of a Nation? Can anybody enlighten me as to what their strategy is? Because I feel like they're really trying to either sabotage the film completely or build up as much controversy as possible to get people talking, which will in turn drive the box office. Guys, shed a light on this. I've worked in and I study public relations. Looking at what their PR team is doing here, I'm just ready to throw my hands up and go, I don't know what in the world this is all about. It's like they're trying to make the situation worse rather than just let it be as it is. I think they are at this point going for the all press is good press mentality. The film already has a tremendous stain on it, a stain that seems to get worse every time Nate Parker does an interview like with the 60 Minutes one. So I think they have decided let's just embrace the controversy, you know, releasing that uh, Dr. D.W. Griffith Birth of a Nation poster to, I mean, that that is controversial. It gets people talking. And I think they just want to keep the film in the press so that someone will go see it at this point. For the time being, I've taken it out of all the Oscar categories in my predictions just because I don't know how it's going to land at all. I think it's more of a commercial play at the moment. And if any awards do come out of it, that'll just be a plus at this point. I really have no idea how it lands. I'm really surprised that the film is holding steady right now. 83% on Rotten Tomatoes so far, which by this point I'd expected the buzz to get down much, much lower at this point for it. So you're right. With the way that the 60-minute interview is heading and the big soundbite that everybody's using where he says that I don't feel guilty. I don't feel guilty for what happened to this woman. It's... You can't deny that it's a powerful soundbite that people are going to continue to use against him and against the film. But you know what? If the guy never has another day in the sun again, if he never gets a lead role in anything, if he never directs anything, if this is it for him, go out swinging with a bang. You know, it's like the film is his film. He's producing it, directing it, starring in it, wrote it. it. Just... I mean, I do I think it's smart? No. Do I think he's going to get any awards recognition for it whatsoever? At this point? No. I think that I think we've moved on now to other films that explore um race relations, uh combat the Oscars so white hashtag that has been um the the looming cloud over the ceremony over the last 2 years. 
it was something that early on in the year we looked at as a contender, but as the race has just played out, and this is what makes the race so fascinating, is that it, it evolves. The film's chances has, as a result, dissolved. See what I did there? <laughs> anyway. It all runs, it sort of reminds me of a couple years ago when, again, this wasn't even nearly the same type of situation, but when in August we had Lee Daniels the Butler, which everybody was saying, oh, it'll get Best Picture, it'll get Best Supporting Actress, it'll get all these awards. Like, it was considered the front runner at that point. And then come nomination morning, nothing. This was talked up for the first half of the year as your Best Picture winner, Best Actor, Best Director. He's going to sweep all of them. Nothing. Now it's like just fading away. Does anybody think that the film will get a single Oscar nomination in any category? I do think, I mean, I'm going to see how it shows up next weekend um, at the box office and throughout the fall. I mean, it does seem to have an ability to elicit a reaction. So I don't think it's out of the question that it still shows up with a Best Actor nomination because the category isn't that strong. Uh, I have heard good things about Henry Jackman's score that might show up. You know, it is a period piece. There is a lot of historical makeup. I think it has chances, uh, I think, at showing up in some of these categories. Paul Massey, who's, you know, was in my people most overdue for an Oscar, the sound mixer, makes the sound for Birth of a Nation. It's got chances. No, it's not gone. I just don't think it will win anything. I don't think it's out of the question either. I just don't know where to put it at this point because I have no idea how it's going to land. So I'm just playing it safe for right now and leaving it out. But I'm always willing to add it back in as developments happen. And speaking of Lee Daniels, the butler, which I just mentioned a minute ago, we got some news this week, speaking of the, that director, that Lee Daniels is going to make a movie musical based on his own life. What do we think of that? It's uh, something. Uh... <laughs> Okay. I, I don't know the backstory in his life. Does he have a particularly interesting life? I know very little about his backstory. He actually grew up right around me, uh, not the greatest area. He grew up in North Philadelphia, and his father was a police officer killed in the line of duty. And I believe he went to Ratner High School, which is right down the street from me, a very nice school around here. And then went to film school, I guess. Uh, it's not so much that he had an interesting life. It's that he's making a movie based on his life as a musical. Like, that is just amb ambitious, to say the least. Well, I know, even though it wasn't his fault having to rename the butler into Lee Daniels the butler, he got accusations of having a large ego because it was titled Lee Daniels the butler. Uh, this might can continue that impression well i saw a very funny tweet this week from a uh, guy lodge on twitter and he brought up a very funny point that if they if this, this film does go into production they should do it in the style of uh i'm not there the todd haynes film about bob dylan where actors who starred in lee daniels movies play different versions of him throughout time oh my god i can't wait to see monique play lee daniels and uh, macy gray and zach efron oh my god this would be this would be amazing this would be a great concept <laughs> I, I would like to see that i have no idea what direction this film is going to go in even if it's going to happen but just the news of it alone was uh, worth mentioning because it was just something so out of left field you don't hear about that very often I'll tell you something that was so out of left field and some worthwhile news that really rattled cages this week. The Lion King is going to be remade by Disney in the same vein as The Jungle Book with Jon Favreau directing. Guys? Were we surprised about this? I think they had announced it, it. for a while. Yeah, they had announced it like six months ago. I think it was just the fact that it actually has a director and is going into production now. Pitchforks, knives, torches. I, no. I, no, no. I'm disgusted, to be honest. I, you know, I enjoyed The Jungle Book. I actually thought it improved in the original. I don't think anyone could improve on The Lion King. I genuinely believe it is one of the best animated films ever made. Uh, certainly one of the best Disney films ever made. See, you two seem to have more of an attachment to it than I do. That's why I'm not a, as upset, it seems. But it's also, there is literally no purpose to making it live action. The Jungle Book at least had one live action character. It's just a CGI remake now. 
it doesn't make sense. It might as well just be an, an updated animated version of an animated film. I, I don't see the reason why they're calling it live action either. It makes no sense to me. And if they're keeping the songs, it's not like it's a gritty reboot or anything. It's literally just a CGI remake of The Lion King. It'll be, I guess, uh, by that though, it'll it'll be an animated film contender when it comes out. But I I'm disgusted a little bit. Well, don't we like John Favreau? I like John Favreau. Iron Man, Chef, Jungle Book. Those are three solid films. Elf. Oh yeah, I forgot about Elf. Yeah, he's sometimes hit or miss, but I mean he's good. I just I don't really trust anyone to remake it because it is beyond unnecessary. More than I can say about almost any of the Disney remakes they're doing. No, I really don't have a strong reaction to this, so positive or negative. It just sort of seems like it's there. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. I don't know how everyone else feels about it, though, because, I mean, the word I'm hearing is that there's a lot of outrage about it just simply because, I mean, you know, Michael, to, to, to your point, I think Will and I definitely are attached to the film, but so many millions of people are. This film is, like, sacred. Yeah, and I like the film. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's a good movie i don't know that i would call it best of disney by any stretch but i enjoy it it's a fine movie well yeah i i will have to wait and see how this all plays out especially as we start to see images some marketing materials get an idea of how the film looks as of right now i'm not a fan but john favreau could change my mind you never know uh what else we got going on the cast on the murder on the orient express uh was announced this week uh, quite a few names in that one, uh, based on was it Agatha Christie's? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably her second most famous book ever made, and uh, tremendous, tremendous ensemble. What is it? Branagh, Dench, Depp, uh, Daisy Ridley, Michael Pena, Derek Jacobi, unbelievable. Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, oh. Leslie Odom Jr. of Hamilton. Oh. Yeah, it is a stacked cast. So, and that's perfect for this story because the original, the nineteen seventy, yeah, nineteen seventy four version, had such a wonderful cast at the time: Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, Martin Balsam, Anthony Perkins, John Connery, Jacqueline Bisset. Like, you really need a great ensemble for this story. Well, didn't it win an Oscar? Was it Bacall? Did Bacall win for that? No. Oh, Ingrid Bergman, who I forgot. Bergman to won yeah, for she it. Won yeah. An Oscar. And uh, I actually just saw the film again a few weeks ago, and it's funny, for the 74 version, I love everything about it in terms of the setup and the performances and the costumes, the cinematography, and I like the mystery too, but the way in which it plays out is so stale, I think. It's just dialogue that goes on and on, which isn't necessarily a problem in a mystery, but when it's all set in like one location, it gets very claustrophobic when, when they're just talking and talking and talking for nearly two and a half hours. It gets to be a little bit repetitive. So I wonder if Brownog is able to do a little bit more with this, even though, yes, it's probably still all set on this train. But maybe he's able to liven it up a little bit. Brana has been known to liven up material, though. If you think back to Hamlet, the almost absurd levels that he takes just the raw text too with Hamlet swinging from chandeliers, you know, throwing swords. And then of course you have him taking the battle of Agincourt and smothering it in gore and mud. So I think he could do something interesting with the material. And at the very least, it'll be a joy to watch that cast interact. I'm still amazed that he was able to make Cinderella, uh, as good as Cinderella was. I was in shock that that movie was actually tolerable. (laughs) So, Credit to him as a director. He is directing and starring in this film. It's got an Oscar-friendly release date of November 10th of 2017. So that is one that we will definitely have to look out for next year. Another one, though, that we're going to have to be on the uh, uh, lookout for is Steve McQueen's Oscar winner, Steve McQueen. I feel so good to say that. His latest film called Widows. Uh, they recently announced that Viola Davis is set to star in this movie, and I could not think of a more exciting pairing right now. Viola Davis, Steve McQueen. And from Gillian Flynn, too, who wrote Gone Girl, so I'm sure it'll be a uh, twisting, riveting source material to go by as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm interested to see how this turns out because uh, 12 Years a Slave, I believe, is a masterpiece. Agreed. But I was left cold by hunger and shame. I appreciated the performances in there, 
but the filmmaking just felt very distant to me, which I guess it was supposed to and be intentional, but still. I think he deliberately, he's kind of like a Kubrick. He does have a distancing style. Yeah. But it is a great, and something like this, you know, it's not meant to be an emotional film, but that cold style could make for a thrill ride since it's a heist film. Right. So I'm very interested to see what he does here. And Viola Davis, obviously, is one of the great actresses of our time. And he tends to get great performances out of his actors, so we'll see. Is that going to be a 2017 release? I believe so, yeah. What I understand, yeah. Uh, it, it should be. It's based on uh, the 1983 British miniseries about a caper gone wrong, and the story follows four armed robbers who get killed in a failed heist attempt, leaving their widows to finish the job. So we're definitely going to have to expect to hear more casting on this one for sure. I'm surprised no one reached out to Jennifer Lawrence. That sounds like something she'd end up in. (laughs) Oh, no. Apparently she was attached to the project. I don't believe she is anymore, though. Oh, was she? Okay. Yeah, I'm almost positive that that's how it all uh, worked out here. We also have Michael Shannon and Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, who are set to star in The Current War by Alfonso Gomez Rejon of Me, an Earl, and the Dying Girl. Oh, wonderful. Um, Yes, so... He said sarcastically. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm wondering. Are you guys? You guys are fans of that movie? Uh, I am. I get a lot of flack for it, but I saw it at Sundance when it opened, and we all got very caught up in the emotion and the hype. And yes, I there. I have a lot to criticize about the film, but I can't deny that I really enjoyed it, and it definitely hit me on an emotional level. I understand people's criticisms leveled, but I also think his direction's flashy, but his direction's very good. It doesn't necessarily seem like the type of direction that would inherently fit in a period piece. You know, it's set in the 1800s, early 1900s, but I did like his work in there. I mean, so they just announced that Michael Shannon is set to play George uh, Westinghouse, who is the uh, longtime rival of Thomas Edison. Benedict Cumberbatch is set to play uh, Thomas Edison in this film. And right there alone, if you just tell me Michael Shannon and Benedict Cumberbatch are going to be acting against each other on screen, I'm, I'm already there. Um, I'm sure I'll see it for them. Yeah, yeah I think the problem with me, Earl, me and Earl and the Dying Girl is more so the film's screenplay uh, than anything. So we'll, we'll have to... We'll have to wait and see how this one plays out, too. I mean, yeah. that should be an interesting one to look out for next year as well. Me and Earl and the Dying Girl was one of the most agonizing experiences I've ever had in the movie theater. I don't think I could think of many films I disliked more than that. Oh, wow. Uh, it was just... That is not a Michael movie. So, take that as you will. Maybe Michael Shannon and Benedict Cumberbatch could convince me to get to this one. I hope that they can uh, change your mind, for sure. Speaking of Michael Shannon really quick, this is totally off topic, but I was just on Twitter the other day scrolling through, and Alec Baldwin was getting into a fight with the Donald Trump supporter, it looked like, and they were like insulting each other back and forth, and Alec Baldwin goes, you know you look like Michael Shannon's less successful brother. (laughs) (laughs) Savage. Savage. Leave it to Alec Baldwin. Oh, and Baldwin, we should mention, he's going to be playing Donald Trump on SNL this season. So we do Emmys talk occasionally. He might get a, what, like a supporting actor in a limited, or in a uh, comedy series nomination next year. Yeah, for... and it's not just a guest role. Like, every week, like he's going to be on there every week, it seems. Yeah, he's like. a member of the cast now, temporarily. That's amazing. I did not know that he's a, a member of the cast. Well, That's he will be, be pretty cool for, for him. Duration yeah, season, he'll yeah. be on there probably every week from now until the election. And depending on what happens November 8th, he may be on a little longer. Whew, that's certainly exciting. Let's hope it's just a temporary stay for now. <laughs> so really quickly, because uh, we're about to talk about Stephen Frears for a second here. Uh, everybody here liked Florence Foster Jenkins, yes? Very much. Yeah, I didn't love it. I liked it. All right. So from what I understand, uh, Stephen Frears is already working on his next project, uh, Queen Victoria film. He just cranks them out. He goes on and on and on. Yeah, it's it's not just a Victoria bio, a biopic, though. It's uh, Victoria dealing with uh, rapidly deteriorating relationships with the colonies in India and particularly Gandhi, I believe. So... Well, who's he got starring in this one? Uh, this is Judy Dench, 
as well as Eddie Izzard, Michael Gambon, Olivia Williams from Polanski's The Ghost Rider, Julian McMahon. Uh, it's, it could be interesting. I mean, I, I love period pieces in the Victorian era particularly. So, yeah, I think this is something worth keeping an eye on. Sounds like something if handled well, the Academy will not be able to resist since... Last time Stephen Frears did a British royal figure, somebody won an Oscar. And whenever he and Judy Dench work together. There you go, Philomena. Not just Philomena, but also Mrs. Henderson Presents. Oh, yeah, that's right. So there's definitely a working relationship there that I'm sure they'll be able to tap into and hopefully produce something of quality. And Olivia Williams is great. She should have two Oscar nominations now, The Ghostwriter and An Education. She's wonderful. I loved her in An Education. I love that movie. She was also this... Say again? I said I also love that movie. Yeah, no, that's an underrated film for sure that doesn't get talked about enough to this day. Carrie Mulligan is just, ah, she's just so great in it. Stellar in that. Her best performance. And Alfred Molina and Emma Thompson. Oh my God, I want to watch that right now. Peter Sarsgaard in that one. Phenomenal. Everybody in that one is phenomenal. I I really do like that movie a lot. And I remember I didn't really want to see it. My sister took me to see it and, uh, I was so happy that she did. Walking out of that movie, I was really pleasantly surprised. Uh, What else we got here? David Mamet. Who wants to talk about David Mamet? He's adapting his own play that had a series of other directors signed on for years, and they have since dropped. So it is a scathing satire about, based on one of his plays, about Hollywood execs getting involved with starlets and scandals and Sue. But... Mamet is a very gifted screenwriter that has brought him several Oscar nominations of the years. He's also a very gifted playwright. He has yet to really, I believe, direct a film that has managed to unite the two and create a true masterpiece. But looking down the line, Hollywood loves movies about itself, particularly the Academy loves movie about Hollywood. So you never know. This is something that next year we could be looking at getting David Mamet yet another screenplay nomination or his first Best Director nomination. I wonder if Jeremy Piven will join the cast of this because he did it on Broadway a few years ago and got really good notices. I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know if he has the industry credibility to do something like that. I think they'll go for a bigger name. And also right. the it industry just on uh, Broadway on London's West End and it starred Lindsay Lohan there. And I think she got some good reviews too. It was Lindsay Lohan and uh, Richard Schiff from The West Wing. That would be bizarre if we got Academy Award nominee Lindsay Lohan somehow out of That's this. That's not going to happen. I'm sorry <laughs> for all you Lindsay Lohan fans out there. Well, even if it's not in the form of this, I would like to see her come back to the States and do something uh, if she's comfortable with it. I do miss her. <laughs> uh, I don't miss her, personally. I, I, I miss young Lindsay Lohan. The young, I'm adorable like Parent Trap and Mean Girls and yeah, Freaky yeah. Friday. Freaky Not Friday. Like just My Luck and Georgia Rule. We could take them out. We're going to uh, circle back around to uh, the New York Film Festival really quick with a couple of questions here. And then we're going to end it off with what I believe to be is the most important news of the week. Uh, so in regards to the New York Film Festival here, uh, which film that is debuting uh, at the New York Film Festival are you guys most excited to see? I think it has to be Billy Lynn just because it sounds like it has the potential to be both the major best picture contender and to be tremendously technologically groundbreaking. Michael? Yeah, Billy Lynn. But I will say I'm very much looking forward to 20th Century Women. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Some people, uh, some Oscar pundits, you know, there was a screening in Los Angeles, were tweeting and subsequently deleted tweets about the 20th Century Women screening, I guess because it's not up from under embargo yet but those tweets prior to deletion were extremely positive and at least one very reliable pundit said they could see Greta Gerwig getting a supporting Oscar nomination for it so I think it may not be an overall huge Oscar player but I think it could be one of my favorite movies of the year and I think it could also still bring some Oscar glory to some underrated people like Gerwig and the long overdue Annette Bening. If it's like a really big Oscar contender, I think it could possibly get as high as 
four nominations for costumes, screenplay, actress, and supporting actress. That on on its best day, sight unseen, by the way, but on its best day right now, based upon the trailer that we've seen and what we know about it, that's as high as I can see the film going at this point. What do you guys think? I currently have it in for three, actress, supporting actress, and original screenplay. And again, this is before I have a real official word on the quality of the film and what it's really about. But uh, we'll see. I'm very much looking forward to it. There was a trailer that dropped this week that I enjoyed very much. Great trailer. Shots look gorgeous, in my opinion. Uh, The use of color, the framing, uh, the the camera push-ins that uh, Mike Mills is uh, employing in it. I was really, really taken aback by how you know sometimes when you hear about these films from these uh small time directors um i don't expect to see a film that has the level of creativity in it as this film does i i expect to see more of like a just you know like run-of-the-mill indie film Uh, but that's not what this struck me as at all this definitely struck me as a film that could definitely be a more significant player I, i don't know if it just uh, well, it'll be so. huge with the Indie Spirit Awards, probably. Definitely. Uh, before we get over to trailers and questions, uh, the final big news of the week, at least for me it was. I don't know about you guys. Silence finally has a release date of December 23rd. Martin Scorsese is going to be back in the Oscar race. Guys, what does this mean for the race? I think it, I mean, we all thought Silence was still coming out this year. It's just confirmation. I no longer think it will win Best Picture when we have something probably more accessible like La La Land out. But I'm very excited to see it in the picture. And I think it could maybe get a supporting actor uh, win for Neeson. Or I'm hearing Adam Driver has a very baity role. And I think it will certainly... Rack up one of those large, the Revenant style nomination counts for sure. Michael, yeah, I was expecting it to have a release date around this period, uh, if, around the Christmas day, and we have December twenty third now. So I don't think it's necessarily anything new, but we'll wait for a trailer, see how that looks. And I'm hearing word. This isn't official, so don't cite me on this. That. It may be premiering at AFI. At least they want it to premiere there. So that would be a really big get for them. They need early word on this film because a period piece of this magnitude with a three-hour-plus running time is going to be a tough sell for a lot of people. So they need early critical word to help drive the buzz. Quick question here for everybody. Uh, Does La La Land win Best Picture and Scorsese wins Best Director for Silence? Can anybody see that scenario playing out? Not particularly. Not really. Okay, and we're all still in agreement of Liam Neeson probably being the front runner, sight unseen, and everything else, just based on his credibility and the film itself. Does everyone else have Neeson in number one? I go back and forth because he apparently ha- it's a small role. It's like Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. I actually have him at number five. Michael, you uh, yeah, you have someone very particularly. In the number one spot. I do. And that is who, Michael? That is Academy Award winner for Best Director in 1980, Warren Beatty. I'm still so skeptical on this, but his latest film that he's going to have releasing this year, the film that you predict he's winning the Oscar for, Rules Don't Apply, has a second trailer out. I want to talk about that trailer with you guys right now. Tell us a little about yourself. I decided when I won a talent contest that maybe I'd give it a go in Hollywood. The Virgin Marla has emerged. Some guys never stop looking to hide the salami. What? Do the deed, dip the wick, <laughs> butter the muffin. I get it. <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm Frank. Hi. Two weeks in Los Angeles, you're working for Howard Hughes. No harm having high hopes, ma'am. $400 a week on top of this. From all I've read about Howard Hughes, I hope he doesn't expect to meet you in some hotel room. Mr. Hughes, I'd like to thank you for my acting classes, thank you for my ballet classes, and thank you for the chance to become a star. What the hell is she doing here? You said you wanted the girl with, with, with the two ends. Yes, Marilyn Monroe. <gasps> That's Marlon Mabry. She's a Baptist nun. Amen. Amen. You do know why Baptists think sex is bad, don't you? Because it might lead to dancing. 
maybe I'm not the right girl for this. I'm a square. A movie actress should have big bosoms and be sexy. I mean, in this town, aren't those the rules? You're an exception. The rules don't apply to you. One day I told my friend I was terribly blue. Was it far too late to do? My fiance believes that once you've been intimate in the eyes of God, you're committed to that person for the rest of your life. Then he answered. So she believes that you're already married. If anybody working for me wants to strike up a relationship with one of our contract actresses, I have to fire him. What are you doing? You've got a driver's license, don't you? Let's go. Have you heard from people that I'm crazy? <laughs> you are not like other people. You're an exception. Something we didn't plan on has happened. Did somebody give that to you? Who gave that to you? a gifted young woman with a wonderful future. Nobody's getting any younger. When you told me the rules don't apply to me, you know, they don't apply to you either. Okay, so now that we've had a chance to watch this trailer, after we now know that Michael has Warren Beatty in his number one prediction spot, Michael, make your best case, because for the life of me, I just don't see it happening, because this film just screams old-fashioned to me, and I don't think that they're the Academy's going for it. And that's exactly my point. It's old-fashioned. It's going to hit right in that Academy wheelhouse with these older voters who love these films. This looks like it could have been made in the 1950s, honestly. It's, you know, this almost a screwball comedy centered around Howard Hughes and a love story in Hollywood. It just pushes all those buttons that the older members seem to love. But all of that aside, Warren Beatty is beloved. And he hasn't made a movie in about 14 years. He just took a long break. His last film was Town and Country, which was a giant flop. Now, he didn't direct it. He just starred in it. But he still has a lot of power. He's like a Jack Nicholson type of figure. He won the Academy Award for Reds back in 1981. And is just has a lot of goodwill, I think, with these members. And you know when he's coming back after a long hiatus, he's going to be going to all these parties, talking to all these members. There's going to be a lot of goodwill for him. And if the role is big enough, it's a supporting role. But if it's big enough, I definitely see a situation where he gets in and potentially wins. Not necessarily on the performance alone, but just his charms and his reputation. It's a good narrative. It it, it didn't play out for uh, Sylvester Stallone last year, as far as... Sylvester Stallone is a different case. Oh, come on. He's not a respected actor in the case that Warren Beatty is. Stallone Warren was Beatty wasn't really actor. that respected of an actor either. He wasn't oh, yes, he renowned sure, as... He... He's a movie star. He's not an actor's actor. Look at it. He has Reds, Bugsy, uh, Heaven Can Wait. He's really a respected figure. A f- respected figure, not a respected actor. How many Best Actor nominations do we have? Do we know that off the top of our heads? 14 Academy Award nominations. Four for Best Actor, four for Picture, two for Director, three for Screenplay, one for Adapted Screenplay, with the one win being for Directing Reds. I think four Best Actor nominations is a sign of a respected actor. For his time. I think that time has long since passed. But wasn't that time one of the greatest in the film industry? You have the 1970s with all these groundbreaking, great, memorable films. Okay, fine. I'll give you a nomination, but you ain't getting a win from me, though. Yeah, I agree. I'm not ready to give a win. Uh, Let's see how this plays out. Okay. Well, let's talk about some other aspects of the trailer here. Alden Ehrenreich, who impressed us all, I think, with Hail Caesar earlier this year, uh, in the lead role here again as well. Well, what do you guys think about him in this? He looks very good, but aside from... uh... Warren Beatty, my big takeaway from the trailer was Lily Collins. She looks good. I don't think she's going to get any Oscar buzz for it. Yeah, I'm, I don't think it is an Oscar player either. You know who she reminded me of? Her voice sounded like Amy Adams a little bit. Slightly, here and there. I, I definitely get what you're saying with that. But uh, yeah, it seems like the film is centered around uh, Collins and Aaron Reich with Beatty uh, being the one who sort of is in the middle of their romance. And then you have this great supporting cast also, just... Lots of, not necessarily old Hollywood, but just 
stars who you don't see as much anymore, and like Candace Bergen and Dabney Coleman, Martin Sheen, just... It's really nice to see those faces in a big movie like this. I think it's funny how the trailer, like, five times has a character tell another character that the rules don't apply to them. Like, oh, is is that what the film's called? Well, because it's such an odd title, I feel like, for a movie such as this, that they have to mention it in the trailer so that you understand why the movie is called that. Yeah, and it's uh, it looks more tonally consistent than the last trailer, at least. The last one was all over the place, I thought. It's a comedy. It's going to do well over the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, I don't know if families are going to go see it, but it'll be that. Uh, it'll be there. It, it sort of reminds me of the release pattern, and I don't think it's going to have the same fate as this film. But Fox released this film, The Book Thief, a, key, a few years ago over Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it'll appeal to that same audience, but uh, maybe the seniors who go out on Black Friday will definitely flock to this one. I know I'm going to be there. This is my most anticipated of Thanksgiving releases, as a matter of fact. Oh, no, 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 no. Not for me. You're a madman. Definitely man. not for me. Yes. Well, it's also, if you look at my most anticipated of the year, I'd put it in the top three easily. I mean, this just, for me, in terms of what I like, and we talked a few weeks ago how I'm like an average Academy member here. I really like that old Hollywood style and the period setting. And there's a song that plays over the trailer, too, that I believe is original. Maybe that could find some traction in the song category. I'll give you that, and I'll give you that it definitely looks like it could be possibly a tech player in some categories as well, based upon the period setting. Uh, I'm not ready to call this an all-and-out contender yet by any means necessary. I'm I'm just not ready yet. And I'm not saying Warren is a lock by any means, but if you look at the contenders right now, the way I rank them, I see him at the top. That could fall, that could stay, I have no idea. But as of October 1st, that's how I'm leaving it for now. All right, and then we're going to now move over to our other trailer review, one of the most anticipated trailers of the year for us in the Oscar world. This is Denzel Washington and August Wilson's film, Fences. Hey, Pop, mm. can I ask you a question? How come you ain't never liked me? Like you? What law is there say I got to like you? None. All right, then. Don't you eat every day? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Yeah. As long as you're in my house, you put a sir on the end of it when you talk to me. Yes, sir. You eat every day. Yes, sir. Got a roof over your head. Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back. Yes, sir. Why you think that is? Because of you. <laughs> Hell, I know it's because of me, but why do you think that is? Because you like me? Like you. I go out of here every morning. I bust my butt because I like you. You're about the biggest fool I ever saw. A man is supposed to take care of his family. You live in my house, fill your belly with my food, put your behind on my bed because you're my son. It's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. I ain't got to like you. Now, I don't give you everything I got to give you. I give you your life. Me and your mama worked that out between us and liking your black ass wasn't part of the bargain. Now don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not. You best be making sure that they're doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying? Everything that boy do, he do for you. It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. Well, I've been standing with you. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. Uh, so, funny thing about Fences, really quickly, um, the, the the kid that plays uh, Denzel Washington's son in this trailer, his name is uh, Jovan Adepo, and I tweeted him recently, he tweeted back to me, and one of the things that I asked him straight up was, how the hell did you not piss your pants on set when Denzel was getting in your face like that? Because, man... Denzel is so intense in this trailer. I showed this trailer to a couple of different people, uh, people that aren't as interested in movies as I am. And even they were like, oh my God, like Denzel is like one of the best actors of our generation. He just looks like he's on fire in this. And I almost got this feeling that while I was watching this trailer that Viola Davis seemed like an afterthought. We were, we were waiting for this trailer to see her mostly. But the real takeaway from this was Denzel is in the hunt for best actor, his his third potential Oscar. And that right there is a very, very, very big deal. 
I think Denzel, I mean, Denzel has the narrative, and it does seem like it is a bigger performance than Manchester by the Sea. It does seem like one of those performances, especially by looking at that trailer, where Casey Affleck could win most of the Critic Awards, but when you get to the big televised ones, Denzel takes them. And it would be historic, you know, this year, following the Oscar so white controversy, Nate Parker may not happen for Birth of a Nation, but honestly, Fences, by the trailer, looks like more traditionally accessible Academy material anyway, and you could see Denzel um, step in to take Nate Parker's place, and particularly in Best Actor, since it looks like his directing isn't necessarily the flashy kind that usually wins. This would be a George Clooney 2005-style way to award him for both starring in and directing the film. So I think after seeing that trailer, I, I'm inclined to put him in first place. Yeah, I have, him in, I have him in first place as well. I was really blown away by the trailer, and it's funny, because Denzel Washington is one of these actors who I always forget how much I like him until I see him on screen. Because I think a lot of the time he was off doing those uh, Tony Scott projects, and then he goes to do uh, a lot of the Anton Fuqua films now, which are fine as action films, but he doesn't really get to show off his uh, great acting chops there. It's more of a star performance. But then he goes and does something like Flight, or you go back and look at Philadelphia, Glory, Training Day. And he's just one of our great actors when he really steps up to it. He's one of the greatest actors of our time. And even in The Magnificent Seven, which is not an acting showcase, he still finds a way to showcase his acting. It's an action film, but he gives a legitimately very good performance in it. And I mean, he is just so good in everything. And, you know, I think that narrative and that talk is going to continue throughout the year. People are going to be reminding everybody what a great actor Denzel is, how he's one of the greatest of all time, how we would be making history by awarding him two uh, Best Actor Oscars in the leading role. Uh, No other black actor in the history of the Oscars has ever done that. Also, too, I think this statistic popped up at one point. Nobody has ever directed themselves to a Best Actor winning performance uh, for, for the Oscar. Is that Does that sound correct to you guys? I, I, I heard that thrown around somewhere. Oh, I've never thought about that before. Didn't happen for Kevin Costner, Clint Eastwood, Gibson, Affleck. So I, I think that, that in itself would also be another uh, statistic that would also have to be broken as well. So I'm rooting for him to do it. I... I'm sure after this Sunday when I see Manchester by the Sea, I'm probably going to be singing Casey Affleck's praises up and down. And that'll probably last me all the way up until I see Fences in December. But we'll just have to wait and see. Right now, I'm with Will on this. I think the trajectory looks like Casey Affleck's going to win a bunch of the Critics' Awards. But Denzel will probably win Globe. He'll probably win SAG. And he may even win that Best Actor Oscar. It might just happen. I'm in total agreement with all of that. Laurence Olivier directed himself to an Oscar Oscar for acting with Hamlet. Hamlet. All right. But still, it's really hard to do. Oh, and Roberto Benigni did as well. And then what do we think of Viola Davis' chances now that we've seen bits of her in the trailer? Well, she had that one uh, brief scene towards the end, but it just really gave us a good idea of how she's going to be in this movie. It's a really baity role. I've read uh, the play a few years ago, and she just, she's going to dominate it. She's wonderful. I mean, I I would soil myself if anyone ever yelled at me with the rage Viola Davis can create on screen. She's fantastic. She also has a good narrative. She's very popular because of how to get away with murder right now, and she's a shining star even in things like Suicide Squad that she's in that aren't otherwise good films. So, yeah, I mean, Best Actor Race is a bloodbath this year. Jackie, I'm sure when I see that, I will also believe Portman is a strong contender. I can't call the race yet. I know some people are locking down Davis. I can't. It's just going to be so, so close. But Davis does look incredible in that final scene. And both uh, Davis and Washington won Tonys in 2010 for their performances on Broadway. Also, we have Stephen Henderson is in the cast, who received a Tony nomination in that same Broadway production a few years ago. He didn't have any speaking lines in the trailer, but he pops up once or twice. 
And he's a great character actor. You see him on a lot of things. He was in Lincoln for a little bit. And uh, you look up a picture of him and you go, oh, I've seen that guy everywhere. He has a very baity role, too, that could probably land him in the supporting actor category. All right. That will pretty much wrap it up for our trailer breakdown there. Um, questions from some fans right now. Uh, this one comes from J.D. Duran at In Session Film. What are your thoughts on the best original score category this year for the Oscars? That's a good question. What are my thoughts on the best score category? Let me look up my predictions. I think Mika Levy is going to be in contention for uh, Jackie. Her score has been singled out by quite a few of the reviews. Uh, I think Johan Johansson, as I understand it, uh, his score practically makes the film and clearly it makes a rival. And he clearly is the hot thing among Academy voters in that category right now. Also, he'll probably get some credit for some pieces he didn't compose that are used in the film. Not enough to disqualify him, but apparently the backbone of the film is um, a Max Richter song, but people who listen to it and don't check up the soundtrack details will assume Johansson created that, and that's a gorgeous track. I've heard it. Uh, I think Howard Shore is a regular contender here whenever he shows up for a Best Picture contender. He's scoring Silence. He has potential to bring in all kinds of uh, Japanese instruments and make something special. Agreed. Um, test screenings from Passengers, who didn't like the film, singled out Thomas Newman's score as being fantastic. They've nominated him like 14 times. I don't know why they wouldn't again. Uh, and then I would say number five, I still have Birth of a Nation with Henry Jackman. Um, I know for me right now, I've got Howard Shore in number one for Silence, Johan Johansson for Arrival. Uh, I originally had Alexandra Desplat for Rogue One, a Star Wars uh, story, but now that's switching out to Michael Giacchino. Uh, I've got Nicholas Bratel from Moonlight uh, in number four, which I know strikes uh, some people as a little odd. And then I've got Henry Jackman in for The Birth of a Nation. I'm going to have to definitely revisit this category this week because I'm starting to feel like Justin Hurwitz is uh, maybe a potential contender for La La Land. Um, I don't think he'll be eligible. Well, we've got to wait and see. Until then, I, I still have him in my thoughts uh, for this. And then Mika Levy for uh, Jackie is also – we cannot underestimate that at all. I'll, I'll know more because I'm, I'm seeing the film on the 14th, I believe I'm seeing it on. So I should know more by then. So we'll uh, no the thirteenth. I'm seeing it. So a couple couple of days uh, from now. Yeah. So looking at mine, uh, I have Arrival, which is at my number one right now. I hear very good things about that score, Jackie, as we said, uh, and Silence. I believe Howard Shore is doing that. That's always something to consider. But then I have two more in here that uh, neither of you mentioned, and I don't know how confident I am about these, but I'm hearing that. Uh, there's some love for both of the films, and those are, and hear me out on this, Florence Foster Jenkins, because that is Alexandra Displa, who is always looked at by the Academy. He won for the Grand Budapest Hotel a few years ago, and I know a lot of people really like that film and the score that goes along with it, so that's a possibility. And then the other one is, believe it or not, The Jungle Book, which I'm hearing from Little Birdie that some Academy members are really, really loving that movie. It just came out on Blu-ray, so there might be screeners that out now. But even if they saw it in the theaters a few months ago, I'm hearing that they're just in awe of the visuals and just the story itself. And a lot of people are taking away the score, which I believe was John Denby who did it. And when I look at a couple pundits who are predicting this category, they have him in there within the 10. So uh, I'd keep an eye on that one. I don't know that it'll necessarily happen, but you never know. It's my third favorite score of the year, but I think what the pundits are forgetting is that a lot of the film's compositions are orchestral renderings of pre-existing songs, and there is a long storied history of films getting disqualified for that reason. And I would honestly say, I think there's three films I keep showing, seeing show up in a lot of pundit predictions. That is Moana, La La Land, and Jungle Book. And I think all three of those are going to run into issues with eligibility. I think particularly of those three, Jungle Book. Yeah. It's always a heartbreaking category every year because every single year there's always at least one snub uh, or two 
or 15 <laughs> that always get to us when it comes to best original score. Something that also I really like to highlight on the show here. Um, I'm hoping that we can do a segment later on in the year wrapping up um, our favorite scores of the year. That could definitely be a lot of fun for sure. Uh, another question comes from Andrew Carden at Awards Connect. Given the chaos of lead actress this year, will any contenders drop down to supporting? Uh, we've talked at length about Viola Davis. I, I, I don't know necessarily if he means anybody else other than that right now. It Although, could be Benning or Adams. Yeah, I was going to say Adams. But but Adams, uh, she's definitely the lead of Arrival. We're referring to Nocturnal Animals, I'm guessing, right? Yes, which everyone keeps saying she's lead. Uh, as the film gets screened more, maybe uh, it was focus features, and last year they had the whole Alicia Vikander thing, which caused some controversy. I haven't seen the film yet. I don't know how prominently she's featured in it, so we'll see. All right, and then our final question is from Matt St. Clair, Film Guy six one nine. This is a fun one, guys. What is the most frustrating acting snub so far this past decade? So from 2006 up until now, most frustrating acting snub. I already have mine at the ready. Mine is easily Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips. Hmm, That's a good question. I need a minute to think about that. I was probably going to say Hanks as far as a raw performance goes. That final scene destroyed me. Um, hmm. You know, and although I actually didn't think it was that deserving of a performance, I was so excited about the Albert Brooks idea of becoming a frontrunner briefly yes. in 2011 for Drive that when it didn't happen, I was, I was very disappointed. I loved that film, and he was very good out of character in that. He was terrifying in his Brian Cranston scene, for example. Yes. And it made that race so much less compelling that year because then Christopher Plummer, once he was taken out, was able to just he cakewalked to it. Yeah. Okay, so I was just looking through some of the performances that I loved over the last decade or so, and I don't, it's tough for me to come up with one, but a few of them off the top of my head: uh, Michael Stuhlbarg and A Serious Man. Ooh, uh, yeah. David Oyelowo and Selma. Yep. Uh, Marion Cotillard in Nine. I love that performance. Don't comment. <laughs> Keeping my mouth shut. Uh, John Malkovich in Burn After Reading, which is uh, one of my favorite characters in a long time, Osborne Cox. I love that film. Which and that we character. talked about on our Deep Water Horizon review, actually. Oh. Uh, because, you know, obviously he's in the movie. So we, we, we definitely mentioned uh, Burn After Reading at one point. I, I think he's absolutely hysterical. Would in that we movie. qualify that as a snub, though? He didn't have any precursor love, really. And. For the most when part, when I say a snub, I'm talking about like performances I've loved that think should have been the Oscar conversation. Okay, okay, I had a different definition. I was thinking of like yeah. what shockingly missed. Okay, continue. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Tremblay last year in Room, I think should have been in there. Yeah, yeah, he definitely should have. Two from 2007 that uh, weren't that close, but I think uh, deserved a lot more love than they got. Michelle Pfeiffer in Hairspray for Supporting Actress, and Amy Adams for Enchanted. I think it's her best performance, maybe, still. That or her. Amy Adams in Enchanted is just delightful. What a great performance. So, those are my choices. I couldn't just pick one because I felt strongly about all of them. I like that question. That was good. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for sending in the questions for sure. Uh, really, really quick wrap-up here. Uh, you guys voted on nextbestpicture.com for which historical review uh, from 2015 will be reviewed on the site. And the winner was Mad Max Fury Road. So that film will be reviewed soon and posted on the website. Uh, we want to thank you guys, as always, for voting. And we want to thank you for supporting us in any way that you can. You can help us out by going over to the store on nextbestpicture.com. You can throw us a like on Facebook, follow on Twitter at nextbestpicture. But guys, where can they find you on Twitter? Will? Find me at Twitter at mavericksmovies. And Michael. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Movie. Throw us all a follow. Throw us a comment. Ask us some questions. Get the conversation started. Guys, before we say goodbye, does anybody have any final thoughts or anything they want to share before we go today? Don't think so. 
I think we covered it. Alrighty then. Thank you guys very much for being here. Thank you everybody for listening. This has been the Next Best Picture Podcast. We'll see you all next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.